ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय discussing a little bit of the plans for the upcoming year. I had a thought, and <laughs> maybe wishful thinking, but I thought of um, finishing the sixth canto by this time next year, well, by New Year's 2021, which would mean basically a chapter a week, pretty much. There's 26 chapters in the fifth canto. What do you think? It would mean it would probably mean not reading every single book. But anyway, we'll see. Um, <laughs> but let us begin. We are in this very interesting. We, uh, we remember that almost everything being said here is uh, an analogy. Right? What do we call it? Allegory. Thank you. Allegory. Right? Uh, the whole thing. Speaking, is, 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 it, is it recording? Oh, great. Fantastic. Thank you. So, we're continuing the allegory and the attack of Chandra Vega in the city of King Karantana. Uh, and the character of Kalakanya. So, what, what does uh, Chandra Vega represent? Time. Okay. So, the great sage, my dear king, who's he speaking to? Uh, after bewildering her husband in different ways and bringing him under her control, the wife of King Paranjan gave him all satisfaction and enjoyed sex life with him. The queen took her bath and dressed herself nicely with all auspicious garments and ornaments. After taking food and becoming completely satisfied, she returned to the king. Upon seeing her beautiful, beautifully decorated and attractive face, the king welcomed her with all devotion. What does the queen represent? Intelligence. Intelligence. Embrace the king. And the king also responded by embracing her. In this way, the, in the solitary place, they enjoyed joking words. So this is the living entity coming in contact with their, his, his or her intelligence. Thus, King Paranjana became very much captivated by his beautiful wife and deviated from his good sense. Now that's a, that doesn't make, well, I guess the material intelligence will deviate. He forgot that the passing of days and nights meant that his span of life was being Generally, a householder does not take the passing of days and nights very seriously. Anyone have that experience? I don't know if it's only household. 
I guess the, the implication is that sannyasis, brahmacharis, and ranapasas are more um, fixed in Janma Mirtu Jaraviyati Dukha Doshana, remembering the ills of birth, death, That's the implication. This is the law of material nature. Oh, wait, wait. A person in ignorance takes it as the usual course that days come and after the days this is the law of material nature but a man in ignorance does not know that when the sun rises early in the morning it begins to take away the balance of his <laughs> okay, so um, this is paraphrasing a verse, by the way. Very wonderful, very famous verse. Ayur Parati Vaibhinsa. Yudyan Ashtam By both rising and by setting, the sun decreases the duration of life of everyone, except one who utilizes the time by discussing topics of the old So he says, a man in ignorance does not know that when the sun rises in the morning, it begins to take away the balance of his life. Thus, day after day, the span of one's life is reduced. And forgetting the duty of human life, the foolish man simply remains in the company of his wife and enjoys her in a secluded place. Such a condition is called apakrishta chikana, or degraded consciousness. Human consciousness should be used to elevate for elevation to Krishna consciousness. But when a person is too much to his life and family affairs, he does not take Krishna consciousness seriously. He thus becomes degraded, not knowing that he cannot buy back even a second of his life in return for millions of dollars. What's that a paraphrase of? Says, uh, you can't bring back a minute even for the golden world. Uh, the greatest loss of life is passing this is such a nice sentence. Essence. The greatest goal loss of life is passing time without understanding. Every moment of our lives should be utilized properly. The proper use of life is to increase devotional service to the Lord. So, um, as we've talked about so many times, uh, it's not easy to have this consciousness, is it? Right? We tend to be forgetful easily, right? And um, and use our time in so many different ways. So that first comes to mind. Right? That that the ideal is to. Use our time in that way, but it's not so easy. There's, you know, as we talked about, time, there's so many distractions. So many. We'll, we'll talk about some of these distractions in a 
This verse indirectly confirms the great importance of utilizing the human form of life to realize our lost relationship with the Supreme Lord by acceleration of devotional service. Isn't that an interesting word? Right? So we got this human form of life, and we should, uh, you know, what do they say? Put the pedal to the metal, right? You know, accelerate. And so we should, I don't know, the, ex the acceleration of devotional service, right? Because we understand that there's different processes for uh, uh, approaching the Supreme. Uh, Brahmeti, Paramatmeti, Bhagavaniti, Sabdhita, understanding Brahman or the all-pervading absolute, uh, the super soul within our heart, and ultimately the Supreme Personality of Godhead Krishna through Bhakti. And the other methods, Karma Yoga, Jnana Yoga, they don't have the same kind of power, we could say, uh, to accelerate, you know. They, they might be like a, um, a 2005 uh, Prius compared to, uh, you know, a Charger, right? Or a, challenge, a Dodge Challenger or <laughs> something like that. You, know, you can imagine those two lined up for a race. <laughs> and before the person can even get in gear in the Prius. <laughs> right, so the, so the, uh, the acceleration of devotional service so, so we read about this again and again that the purpose of human life, the human life is a rare gift and it should be utilized properly and it's, uh, the challenge is to remember that. That's one of our challenges is to remember that and therefore use our time wisely. Because right? you know, we know what it's like. You, you wake up in the morning you brush your teeth, you take, take a shower, you do, you do your duty, whether it's going to work or whatever, and it just seems the next day is going to be just like the previous day, right? And you go like that, and then one day it's not, or sometime it's not. And therefore, Srila Prabhupada would say um, that even at the time, we talked about this last week, even at the age of 50, one is supposed to think that that's Krishna tapping on you, you on your shoulder. It's time to start... Um, getting prepared for the final lesson, right? So Prabhupada continues here. Time and, uh, and he quotes this uh, wonderful saying, time and tide wait for no man. What does that mean? What is tide? Yeah, the ebbing and flowing of the ocean, right? You can't say, okay, listen, it's so nice when the tide is out. Could you just keep it like that? Could we just press the pause button, right? It, it ebbs and flows without, you know, so similarly, time waits for no one. Right? So the time indicated by the sunrise and the sunset will be uselessly wasted if, this, if such time is not properly utilized for realizing identification 
of spiritual values. Realizing identification of spiritual values. Even a fraction of the duration of life wasted cannot be compensated by any amount of gold. So there's really the direct um, paraphrasing of uh, Chanakya Pandit. Human life is awarded, right? You get an award. Do you know you're going to get an award sometimes if, you know, like there's the, the, the employee of the month? Have you ever been employee of the month? No? Anyone here been employee of the month? Right? So you don't, sometimes you don't know ahead of time, right? So we're awarded. It's given by someone else. Awarded to a living entity simply so that he can realize his spiritual identity and in his permanent source of happiness. Wow, that's a strong statements by Prabhupada. So, um, and we lament that we haven't always used our time wisely, isn't it? Yeah. It's a cause of lamentation. So, <clears throat> here's something to uh, re take you out of your lamentation. Okay, this is from the uh, uh, Madhya Leela of the um, Chaitanya Charitamrita. And it says, Krishna Tomar Hana Yadi Bhale Ekabhara Maya Bhanda Hoite Krishna Tare Kare Para. One is immediately freed from the clutches of Maya if he seriously and sincerely says, My dear Lord Krishna, although I have forgotten you for so many long years in the material world, today I am surrendering unto you. I am your sincere and serious servant. Please engage me in your service. Isn't that encouraging? Right? One is immediately freed from the clutches of Maya. And then these two, the uh, sincerity and seriousness are mentioned twice. Sincerity and seriousness. So, what does it mean to be sincere? What's that? Walk the talk? Okay, walk the talk. What else? Yes. No other motivation. Anya, anya abilasita shunyam. Uh, that means, anya means other, abilas means desire, and shunyam means zero, or Prabhupada would say jiro with his Bengali accent. Other things, what else does it mean to be sincere? Nandamuki? Do we, need, do we have a microphone today because we're using the wireless? Oh, it's okay. Thank you. Hare Krishna. I think being sincere in a way means accept yourself as you are, both bad and good. Except, well, that's pretty interesting. Accept yourself as you are, both bad and good. And then what do you do once you accept yourself as bad and good? Then you can uh, go back to the uh, normal reflective mode and advancing yourself. And uh, what was the word? Advancing. Advancing yourself. yourself. Okay. Otherwise, we just try to uh, keep away those things we don't want to accept. Okay. And so you, you're equating it with uh, real deep honesty. Yeah? Very good. Okay. Sincerity means really... And, and it's said that you can, just, you can approach Radha Madan Mohan and you can, you can tell him, listen, I'm, uh, you know, this is, this is some of my good points and then let me tell you all of my challenges. And then you say, you got to help me. <laughs> what else does it mean to be sincere? Microphone? It means to walk around with the Prabhupada chanting the Maha Mantra everywhere you go. <laughs> go ahead. 
free from pretense or deceit. Okay, so very similar to uh, what Nandamukhi is saying. Free from Yours is kind of external. Nandamukhi's was internal, yours is external. Pretense and conceit? Deceit. Right. Very good. Yes? Uh huh. Sincere in its origin has the word sin. Right. So that's means? free of sin, even though you know, motivation, action, you know, mind, I, body, and words. I don't know if that's ep ep etymologically correct, but we'll take it. Oh. <laughs> yes. Confirming it. But uh, can you give Mike to Serum is free of. Um. Vaisheshika Prabhu is really into the origins of words, and he said sincere comes from sincere, without wax, because right. in the olden days they would have marble. If it's pure marble, there's no cracks, but if there's cracks, they put wax in it to make it look like right. pure marble. Right, yes. Uh, uh, I didn't mention that because a little more research shows that that might not be actually true, but still it's a really good point. <laughs> it doesn't matter, you know, we don't, we don't always accept Google Dave instead of Guru Dave. Right? But yes, uh, I, I heard that one the first time many years ago from um, uh, Sachinandan Swami mentioned it in class in Vrindavan. So then I Googled it and I said, oh, another wife's tale. But anyway, it, it's great because it, it's nice, right? Without wax, without, uh, yeah, pure. Good, so we can think about this, right? Because here, I mean, this is a statement. Uh, from Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami. One is immediately freed, immediately, from the clutches of Maya. What does Maya mean? Maya. Illusion, right? Our, our whole. Uh, if he or she seriously and sincerely says, My dear Lord Krishna, although I have forgotten you for so many long years, so that's kind of your point, Nanamuki, right? That's, right? It's part of your point. I've forgotten you for so many long years in this material world. Today I am surrendering unto you. I am your sincere and serious student, um, servant. Please engage me in your service. So really having that, that mood of wanting shelter, of wanting service, these are signs of sincerity. Yeah, very good. Uh, anything else on this point or this verse? Oh, yes, Andy. Um, yeah, I just wanted to mention that the time management thing or not wasting time. Right. I think that is, I'll just say, universal truth for me because uh, I have a good friend who's atheist. Uh -huh. But he's very <clears throat> particular about not wasting time. And so he know, even though he's atheist, he doesn't believe anything we're saying here. He still feels that that's very important. So if we're saying it's important. Here's an atheist saying it's important. So actually, it is important. So it depends on how what you believe, right. why it's important. <laughs> yeah. Yes. As a matter of fact, it's funny you say that. Not funny. I mean, like ha ha ha, funny. Interesting you say that, because I was just um, reading a. Uh, if I can find it quickly. Um, no, I won't find it right now. Uh, quite a. Um, a passage from Psychology Today, uh, because I was doing some research for class today, uh, and they were saying the same thing. That it was a, a person who didn't believe in God and said, oh, well, we only have such a short period of time here on the planet 
so we should use every minute of it. Right? Um, we, we might have some challenges in discussing that, but we won't get into that right now. Okay, so let's move on to verse number four. <clears throat> in this way, increasingly overwhelmed by illusion, King Paranjan, although advanced in consciousness, remained always lying down with his head on the pillow of his wife's arms. In this way, he considered women to be his ultimate life and soul. Becoming thus overwhelmed by the mode of ignorance, he could not understand the meaning of self-realization of his self or of the supreme personality of Godhead. And Prabhupada writes, um, Unfortunately, in the present civilization, both men and women are allowed to be attracted to one another from the very beginning of life. And because of this, they are completely unable to come to the platform of self-realization. So, um, we're going to talk about this point a little bit more, but it, it's, um, I was reading in um, a book by Sachinandan Swami recently, he was talking about, the, did I mention this before, the three hearts? And not like the three of hearts in a card, <laughs> but uh, that we have, we have the physical heart, the one that beats, I, I think I read somewhere like 33 trillion times in a, if you live to 80, something like that. Right? It's, if you do 80 beats a minute. Anyway, someone could do the calculation of how much that would be an hour, you know, in a day. It's an amazing thing, the heart, right? It takes this, uh, it takes this um, carbon dioxide full blo full filled blood, pumps it out of the heart into the lungs, returns it with oxygen, right? Then it goes through the four, there's four chambers in the heart. And then it pumps, it, you know, keeps everything going, right? And then there's our um, emotional heart, right? The thing, feel, feeling of love and, and camaraderie and community and friendship and pleasure and pain and, and all those things, right? Um, and, he, and he was making the point that um, we can pretty much get absorbed in that emotional heart our whole life, right? And fully neglect our spiritual heart, who we really are. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, he says, we need to enter into a devotional relationship with Krishna. The third heart is built to experience and express love in spiritual relationships that are actively nourished. And then he goes into an explanation of actively nourished, meaning not just kind of going through the rituals of spirituality, but... Um, doing them with some bhav, with some devotion, with some love. Right? Not just, you know, picking up our bees, you know, got to get my 16 rounds done, I promised. Okay, finished. Whew. Now we can get on with life, you know. Right, play ball. Right, play ball. <laughs> right exactly. But really, um, really trying to revive, I, I like the, the word he used, we have to revive our spiritual heart, re reawaken it. And, and that's why, you know, verses like this, because someone could kind of get offended. Well, what's, what's the matter with, uh, you know, the relationship between men and women? And, and we would say nothing as long as you're not, it's not the purpose of your life outside of your relationship with Krishna or with God. But the point is that we, you know, we make it such, a, it, and the, the world today makes it practically, you know, the, the focus I think I mentioned this maybe a few years ago, but I still remember the uh, first time being infatuated with a girl. I, was work I just remember this, that 
I was working at my mother's law firm after uh, school, in high school, and I still remember filing things away. I had to file, um, you know, just things in alphabetical order, right? And all I was doing was thinking of her the whole time. <laughs> the whole time, you know. Was, that was like my goal of life, right? You know, uh, and I was thinking, that, now if I could just do that now, right? You know, I, if I was not exactly like that, but, you know, you know, um, paying my bills online or, you know, driving to work and all I'm doing is thinking of Krishna, right? If I could, if I could just um, do that. But because, I, you know, I didn't know about Krishna at that time and I just thought that that was basically the, at least one, the main or one of the main purposes of life. But here we're here. So therefore, when the Shastra um, questions that priority, it's doing it for the reason not just to make us feel bad, about, feel bad, but to refocus and reawaken and reopen our spiritual heart. Make sense? So it's not, you know, it's not, it's, so we're not jnanis. Jnanis would just say, no, it's just maya, it's just illusion, you know. But we, we say, no, it's illusion because we want, and, and we're concerned about it because we want to develop our love for Shri Shri Radha Madan Mohan, like that. Some thoughts on this? Yes. Yeah, microphone. Who is the person who spoke about the three hearts? Oh, Sachinandan Swami yeah. in the book uh, *The Living Name*. Oh. One of my, it's on my uh, Amazon book list. No, I've been reading it pretty much regularly. I, I read. I only read that during Kartik, just to try to improve my japa. Yeah. I, but I, it really caught my attention when he said reviving the spiritual heart. Yes, Andy. But, uh, it's, we're playing a musical microphone. Isn't that the same Satchinanda's uh, Swami that Woodstock in 1969? No, Anand. Oh. Anandan Swami is a disciple of Srila Prabhupada's. Yeah. Swami Ananda was in Woodstock. Yeah. Uh, there's some funny stories I can tell you about that, but... Uh, just that uh, he was on the main stage, and so two of the devotees, Toshan Krishna Prabhu and Parijan Prabhu, uh, kind of like walked, uh, walked on the stage with him, and they had peacock feathers, a picture of with peacock feathers in their hand. <laughs> and uh, uh, then they were like, hey, no, you're not with him. You know? <laughs> and then later he was in Hong Kong, a number of years later, and saw, met, was with Swami Satchitananda, Satchitananda, and um, they showed the the video of Woodstock, and hey, that's me with you over there. They saw the video. It was kind of fun. You know, people still marvel to this day that nothing happened, that the conditions were horrible. Pouring rain, people crazy, walking through yeah, mud, sewage, oh, everything, and it was completely peaceful. So everybody oh, Well, it almost wasn't. Uh, the, the devotees, uh, same two devotees, they got on the stage. Uh, it was not the main stage, but a side stage. And uh, they were chanting Hare Krishna. And this one motorcycle gang, I won't mention their name because it's not a very polite name. It wasn't the Hells Angels, it was another one. Um, and they were, uh, they were kept on yelling at the devotees, rock and roll is our soul, get off the stage. And they were kind of approaching the devotees and wielding their chains. And just as they got to the stage, all the electricity in all of Woodstock went out. All of it. And it was not a full moon, so... So no one could. They, so the devotees just ran off stage. And so all the electricity went off. 
What? That's a good thing. Then. Yeah, it's a good. Well, yeah, that's a good. It's even better than just regular. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, shall we move on? We do want to try to finish this chapter today. My dear King Prachini Bahisat, in this way, King Paranjana, with his heart full of lust and sinful reactions, began to enjoy sex with his wife, and in this way, his new life and youth expired in half a moment. The great sage Narada then addressed King Prachini Bahisat, O one whose lifespan is great, Virat. In this way, King Paranjan begot 1,100 sons within the womb of his wife Paranjani. However, in this However, in this business, he passed away half of his lifespan. Text 7. O, pra, o Prajapati, King Prachini Bharisat, in this way, uh, King, O Prajapati, King Prachini Bharisat, in this way, King Paranjan also begot 110 daughters. All of these were equally glorified like the father and mother. Their behavior was gentle and they possessed magnanimity and other good qualities. Text 8. After this, King Paranjana king of the Panchala country, in order to increase the descendants of his paternal family, married his sons with qualified wives and married his daughters with qualified husbands. Okay, so I thought you might be wondering, why did I choose this uh, verse to talk on? I think it brings up some interesting points for us. So the first one is, uh, we've mentioned this many times, but the first one is that when we're studying Prabhupada's books, you have to look at everything he said, because it's easy to quote one thing and not understand and out of context, and say, he said this, right? So here, according to Vedic system, everyone should marry. So you could say, wow, okay, great. But then, you know, if you know, if you're familiar with other things that he said, he said, for example, um, in the Vedic civil, because here he says, according to the Vedic system, everyone should marry. And then another place he said, in the Vedic civilization, therefore, small boys were trained to remain brahmacharis, celibate, and not involve themselves in the troubles of sex. But if one was unable to remain brahmachari, he is allowed to get married. That's quite different than everyone should marry, right? And then another quote, therefore Vedic civilization is to train these small boys to remain brahmachari, not to take the trouble. So my point is, um, uh, there's several things in this purport, but that's one thing that, you know, when we're familiar enough with uh, Prabhupada's teachings, we understand that, oh, well, he said that there, but he also said different things elsewhere. And if you recall, we, um, we quoted uh, Thoreau. Was it Thoreau or Emerson? Emerson. Uh, it said, you know, that uh, <coughs> great teachers can be misunderstood because they may say one thing in certain one time and place and circumstance and something quite different another time, place and circumstance. Right? So... Um, then he goes on to say, again, as we know, that this, he's talking about the Vedic traditional system, especially the Karmakanda system, and not the pure bhakti system, when he says, one has to accept a wife because a wife will produce children, and the children in their turn will offer foodstuffs and funeral ceremonies to their, to, so that the forefathers, wherever they may live, will be made happy. The offering of oblations in the name of uh, Lord Vishnu is called Pindodaka, and it is necessary that the descendants of a family offer pinda to the forefathers. So then we can say, oh my God, I didn't offer pinda to my... You're right. But we know uh, that in elsewhere, that this is, a, this is a karmakanda thing, it's part of the Vedic culture, but it's not necessarily something that Vaishnavas have to do. Lord Chaitanya did it, um, not that he got married, well, he, was, yeah, he did get married twice, but um, 
he did it mainly, it was explained to, uh, because he would be criticized for not doing it in that culture. Right? But, so again, it's something that, can, knowing the context, here Prabhupada is explaining the standard Vedic culture, but not necessarily the Vaishnava culture or the culture of devotion. So before we go on to other things in this purport, anything on that? Yes, you can offer prasadam to... We can, we can make an offering mentally to forefathers right. also. Yes. Like offering prasad to everyone, you know. Right, but I'm just saying the process in general, like for here, the... Not doing a ritual. The purpose, the purpose of getting married in one sense here is so that the, your kids will offer you foodstuffs after you pass away. For us, it's like Ram Ram, you know, hopefully we'll be uh, in either another devotee body or dancing with Krishna. What was that? I couldn't hear what he said. So, um, anything else on this? How many of you offer your forefathers pindodaka or something like that in your tradition? One, two, okay, yeah. Gotcha. A annually? Annually, right. So there's nothing wrong with it. It's saying it's part of Vedic. All I'm, I'm not, so I'm not, we're not belittling it. All I'm saying is that it's contextualized and discussed in the, you know. So then we carry on, and um, so then, okay, so look, let's look at this. Not only was Pranjana the king of Panchala satisfied in his own sex life, but he arranged, okay, well, that's not what I wanted to read. Oh, it is significant in this verse that Pranjana got both sons and daughters married. It is the duty of a father and mother to arrange for the marriage of their sons and daughters. This is the obligation of Vedic society. So again, the traditional culture, right? Sons and daughters should not be allowed freedom to intermingle with the opposite sex unless they are married. The Vedic, this Vedic social organization is very good in that it stops the promulgation of illicit sex life or varna sankara, which appears under different names in this present day. So um, here, so what's so what is the so? Also, another thing when we're reading Prabhupada's books is to understand what is the principle and what's the detail, right? So why is it important for, uh, why does he say it's important for parents to arrange their sons and daughters' weddings? For compatibility, okay. That, oh, they didn't mention that here, but yes. What else? They can have godly children, right? And he also says so there won't be free mixing prior to that, right? And, his, and so why is that important? What's the big deal? What's wrong with the way things are right now? You know, where uh, people, you know, uh, what do they call it? Hook up and things like that, right? Um, yeah. Um, the way right now is uh, it leads to Varna Shankara. Okay, so it leads to the unwanted pop. You know, people because the consciousness of the uh, the man and woman at the time of conception uh, affects what kind of soul is attracted to that womb. And so you may be attracting quite impious souls if it's just for sense gratification. And why is that important? I know this is somewhat of an uncomfortable topic, but it's important. Why, yeah, why is, or, or why is it important, yes, to not have varna sankara or to um, uh, avoid illicit uh, activities? Well, I guess he said avoid illicit activities then uh, leads. So why is that important? So the purpose, okay, so now you're getting to the, okay, so you could, there's one step between that, right? To have a peaceful society, 
right? And then the next step is, and what's why it's important to have a peaceful society? Well, to, to ultimately have, uh, have a peaceful society can help people focus on their spiritual lives and their love for Krishna. So there's a, uh, a, a technique in management that's sometimes called the five whys, W-H-Y-S, right? And so sometimes we also, if we want to get to what is the ultimate point Prabhupada's getting at, you can ask why, 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 and almost always you're ultimately going to end up with Prema Pumartha Mohan, that the goal of life is to love God, right? So it's not that he's like, you know, like, oh, we don't want, you know, we don't want people mixing and things like that, and we want to just, uh, um, because we want everyone to be unhappy. <laughs> no, there's, there's a why behind all those whys, right? And there's a, a purpose. And <clears throat> like we were talking about a few minutes ago, that we can, one of the greatest distractions is the, uh, uh, to, to remembering that we're the soul, we're not this body, is that uh, mixing of the sexes. So, um, so, then the, so then the question is, so if that's the goal, right, then these other things are means to the goal. And for those of us here who may have children, um, it, or w will have them in the future, it's not, let's be honest, right? It's not a guarantee that they're going to have us, allow us to arrange their marriage. Is that true? <laughs> right? Very true, he's saying, right? Yes. <laughs> so then what happens is, so then we say, okay, so that's, so we don't have that detail, if we do, that's great, right? If, I mean, that's fine. Uh, there's, there's some statistics that say that uh, arranged marriages have a greater chance of longevity than, as they call them in India, love marriages, right? You, you uh, instead of falling in love, right, you know, like uh, Hollywood or Bollywood movies, right, and then you walk off into the sunset, and they don't mention that, that then, they, you know, you lose your job five weeks from now and you get in a fight and, you know, someone has a disease, right? You just see them walking. You fall in love. Um, I think, if, I, I remember, because I, I lived in India starting in the 80s and um, I remember talking to many elderly couples and they said, no, we didn't, we weren't in love in the beginning. We developed our love as, uh, you know, as the years went on. Um, so, okay, so if we don't, so if we don't have that detail, we can still remember the principle. That's my point. Okay, so you, your kids, some of our kids are going to not have arranged marriages or, you know, um, and do the whole thing, right? The astrologer and the parents. And, and of course, we all know, if we're honest, that a lot of arranged marriages aren't only for compatibility. Sometimes there's money involved, right? You know, what's the dowry going to be, right? Or, you know, uh, this, this family is a good family. They're very well connected socially, so I'll, right? The status, yeah, it's not all just... What's that? Tax reasons? Cast, yes, cast, yes, yes. You, I don't, again, I, I, when I was, I don't know, now I guess it's all electronic, but when I used to get the Hindustan Times or the Times of India, you know, they would say, you know, uh, um, Brahmin boy seeking a light-skinned, right? Yeah, like, like that or whatever, like, you know, so, so, you know, so stuff like that. Um, but my point is we, we may not always have all the, Although there, is some, there are some devotees who have set up uh, kind of like online uh, ways to find a, a spouse, at least semi-arranged marriages, right? Um, but if we can't, we can still aim for the principle, 
of loving Krishna. So that's why I, I read this and I thought about that for a while, right? Because Prabhupada's going into specifics about arranging marriages, and then he explains why, but if we keep on asking why, it ultimately goes that, we, that the purpose of life is to uh, develop our love for Krishna. Who here had an arranged marriage? Okay, so a few of you. Mine was, I could just raise my hand. Yeah, mine was arranged. Semi-arranged. I was introduced to uh, by, uh, actually, uh, Badri Narayan Swami. Like that. But it wasn't because of, it was done by a devotee, not by uh, parents. Our parents wouldn't have known. My mother just was happy that it wasn't going to be a brahmachari, and she didn't care. <laughs> I don't care who it is. It's great that you're getting married, and you're not going to be a brahmachari. She couldn't understand being a monk very well. <laughs> Okay, so any thoughts on this? I, I, so we talked about some you know, interesting points here about reading Prabhupada's books, right? Getting an understanding where he may have said something that, that would uh, you know, speak somewhat differently or in, from a different angle, right? Another part of his uh, understanding the context and then, on, and then also trying to understand the difference between principles and details. In the sixth, in the sixth chapter of the Nectar of Devotion, it mentions that, that there's a difference between principles and details. So any thoughts? Andy? Just quickly, I think people are worried about cultural, that they can't have an arranged marriage. I don't think it matters because uh, my grandmother said that uh, when two young people uh, get married, they're never, they're never in love. They think they're in love. But oh. they, don't have, <laughs> they don't have the long-term thing that the arranged marriage people get anyway. And right. So as long as your children understand that you just you're it's youthful, lusty love, and that's lusty not the love, lasting yes. thing. You have to find the lasting thing. Then it doesn't matter if it's arranged. Yeah. So ultimately, it's really, really beneficial if uh, husband and wife they're they're they serve each other and they also serve the Supreme Lord, and that's kind of a focus. Yes. Um, to the point that you are making about this purport, um, to me it looks like just blindly accepting something or blindly rejecting something should be avoided. Rather, we should be thoughtful about what is being presented and why is it being presented, in what, yes. what context it is being presented. And then when we understand the principle behind it, then it becomes easier for us to navigate through our life and apply the principles appropriately. Exactly, yes. And therefore, it's always good to study Prabhupada's books and the association of other devotees. Okay, let's move on. Uh, of these many sons, each produced hundreds and hundreds of grandsons. In this way, the whole city of Panchala became overcrowded by the sons and grandsons of King Paranjana. Remember, this is allegory also. These sons and grandsons were virtually plunderers of King Paranjan's riches, including his home, treasury, servants, secretaries, and all other paraphernalia. Paranjan's attachment for these things was very deep-rooted. Text 11. The great sage Narada continued, My dear King Prachini Barhisat, like you, King Paranjana also became implicated in so many desires. Thus he worshipped demigods, forefathers, and social leaders with various sacrifices, which were all very ghastly, because they were inspired by the desire to kill animals. So, um, Prabhupada writes, modern civilization is centered around animal killing. And I, you know, again, I 
I think we've done this before, but I did a little research. Um, so this one website said that um, the animals killed for food since you opened this website. Follow? You just opened the website a few seconds ago. Uh, Three million fish, 195,000 chickens, 121 farmed fish, 9,000 ducks, 4,500 pigs, 3,700 rabbits, 2,000 geese, 2,000 turkeys, 1,700 sheep, 1,300 goats, 1,000 cows, 2,000 rodents, 190 pigeons, 82 buffalo, 16 horses, 10 donkeys, and 10 camels. That was like just after I had opened up the website. <laughs> so it's, you know, so when we, we read this, say modern civilization centered around animal, I don't have that experience. But if you think about it, um, you know, almost everyone is eating non-veg food, say, say in India. Right, constantly, and we eat three meals a day, and probably one, if not two, of those three meals are have meat in them, and it's just all pervasive. It's it's amazing how much uh, animal killing goes on. Uh, so, if you want to know, in a wait, this I guess must be in a year, nine billion chickens in USA alone. Yeah, because there's, there's only 300 and something million people in America, but 9 billion chickens. 150 million animals per day, 50 billion fish, and all in, in, throughout the world, 2.7 trillion in the wild. Uh, 3 billion, I, I didn't put the day, 3 billion, I don't know what that, anyway, it's not good. It's not good. It's amazing how uh, they don't have statistics for carrots. <laughs> how many carrots were you? <laughs> right, animals. So it's, it is a, uh, Prabhupada writes, a Vaishnava Acharya like Narada Muni knows very well that persons engaged in such animal killing in the name of religion are certainly becoming involved in the cycle of birth and death, forgetting the real aim of life. And there it is again, the real aim of life to go back home, back to Godhead. So um, it really is a soul-killing, animal-killing uh, society. It's not, it's, not, it's not an exaggeration or just make us feel bad. It's really quite... Uh, and and the, the, hard, the, the worst part about it, or not the worst part, but one of the worst parts about it is we become dull to it. We just accept it, right? And it's like, you know, people just don't think twice. I remember I was, I, I, I was a student, um, I got my master's degree at a Christian university. And we had a debate once. Uh, it, it's a Christian university that gets um, almost all the Fulbright scholars in conflict resolution. So we got all these famous people from around the world coming there, including uh, the, Nobel, the Nobel Peace Prize winner uh, a few years ago from Sierra Leone. So I was having a debate with this um, one um, orthodox um, leader of the Turkish Orthodox Church, whatever that was, but, you know, he's from Turkey. And so <clears throat> we started talking about animal killing, right? And, and I said, I said, you know, because everyone in the, it was a, it was a conflict resolution course, so everyone was interested in, and I was, and I, so at one point I said, um, uh, peace begins at the dinner table.
right? And I said, how can we think that we're going to bring peace to the world when we're slaughtering animals senselessly? And he was a really sincere person. He said, you know what? I'm going to have to go back and read my Bible again about, on this topic. At the end, he kind of like, not defeat, because it wasn't like that kind of debate. I'm going to beat you, you know? But it was, it was a peaceful, because, <laughs> you know, conflict resolvers. But it was really, it was really you know, I, and I just use such simple analogies from Prabhupada, and it, they really are powerful. Yes, Prabhuji, you had your hand up. Oh, I, I was thinking maybe this was, maybe in the next verse it will come. About okay. restrictions, how every religion encourages animal killing, but it's just a restriction, it's not a free allowance to have. Right. And also, I heard very um, surprising news that um, in India, this famous lady who's called, who's going to be a saint soon, she encouraged meat-eating like anything in India in the name of religion. Acha. Yeah, and so it's... Uh, but when you think about it, how can you... If God is everywhere and God's in everyone's heart, then, and it's not necessary for sustenance to... Uh, I mean, the one thing I guess vegetarians and vegans, they say you have to be a little careful about is vitamin B12. You can get... I take a little vegan vitamin B12 once a day. You know, but you don't need these. You don't need to kill animals for sustenance, at all. You know, I mean, less okay if you're stuck in the wilderness, right? And you know, then actually Shastra even says that you're allowed. But <clears throat> and and anyone who's ever worked in a slaughterhouse or been to one of these chicken farms, yeah, the other thing about going to uh, Eastern Mennonite University in Harrisonburg, Virginia is the, uh, there's a lot of chicken farms. You know what a chicken farm is, right? It's these long, long buildings with no windows in them, generally. And they give off such a bad stench. And if the wind was blowing in the right direction, every day would come on the campus. You know, so it's very, very sad. So at least we should be, if we, uh, at minimum, be vegetarians, if at all possible. And uh, best to be prashadatarians, to uh, uh, offer in gratitude and, and devotion and love our food back to the source, the person who uh, arranged for it for us, Krishna. Yes? In 1980s, when Ronald Reagan wanted to uh, celebrate vegetarian feast at White House, he was blocked, he was stopped by the meat industry from Chicago area. You can't do that. And he said, just once we will have a vegetarian feast at the White House. They didn't allow him. You can imagine they would be upset if Tulsi Gabbard became president. <laughs> right. uh -huh. Yeah. Of course, uh, our uh, President Clinton is now a plant, has a, been on a plant-based diet for a number of years now for health reasons. Primarily. But, yeah. So being a vegetarian is, isn't, it's a step. And then really we want to be prashadatarians. Yes? Okay, shall we carry on? Um, King, thus King Paranjan became attached to fruit of activities, karma kandiya, as well as kith and kin. And being obsessed with polluted consciousness, eventually arrived at that point, not much liked by those who are overly attached to material things. O king, in Gandharva Loka there is a king named Chandravega. 
Under him there are 360 very powerful Gandharva soldiers. So the Gandharva soldiers are represent the day, right? 360 days. <clears throat> um, oh, okay, yes. 14. Along with Chandravega were as many female Gandharvis as there were soldiers, so day and night. And all of them repetitively plundered all the paraphernalia for sense enjoyment. So our days and nights take away our vitality. Prabhupada writes, material activity means manufacturing things for sense gratification. Scientists are conducting research to find out how we can satisfy our senses more and more elaborately. In this Kali Yuga, the demoniac mentality is employed in manufacturing various machines to facilitate the process of sense gratification. There are so many machines for ordinary householder activities. This is interesting. There are machines for washing dishes, yes? Did anyone ever wash dishes before there was dishwashers? Cleansing the floor, right? There's vacuum cleaners and things. Uh, shaving, clipping hair. Today, everything is done by machine. All these facilities for sense gratification are described in this verse as sarva karma vinir mitam. <clears throat> so, if you think about it though, like for example, this is obviously one of the main machines that's been created in the last, what, about 11 years now? 11 and a half years? Right? Um, can we, now of course it, it, it's amazing in some ways what it can do, right? Is, can you make a strong argument that these things have made us happier? Oh, okay, yes, you can use it in Krishna's service, yes, yes. You can be listening to Prabhupada and then get distracted by, oh, what's going on in the cricket match? Right. Uh, <laughs> but I, I don't think you can make a strong... Um, no, I, where was I the other day? I'm trying to remember where I was, where everyone was on their phone. Oh, I was, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was uh, having a meeting at a Starbucks with someone. And for work, and, and I just looked around because I was wait I, I was there early, and just everyone, everyone, you know, even you're with, you know, a family member, right? So I think it's questionable whether they've made it. Have televisions made us happier? Have washing machines made us happier? Maybe a little. <laughs> Well, yes, of course, yeah, anything you use in Krishna consciousness. We're not talking about the, uh, using things in Krishna consciousness. Obviously, I have a phone. But, but as a general societal point, did you have a point? Microphone? As long as it's not used in Krishna's service in the right way, then like, it's all going to get... Uh, it doesn't, uh, it's like you know, in every aspect of it, there is a good and bad, like it's a two-edged sword. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yes, um, but it, but we become very uh, enamored by them. I remember one time I was in India and someone was living in India, and someone was um, coming from America. And in those days, now it's not so much like that. But in those days, um, computers were much cheaper to buy in America than they were in India. So I can just remember this one day. I'm in Vrindavan. <laughs> And I'm trying to research, and I'm spending hours and hours trying to research what is the best deal on a computer, and how, many, how, how big is the RAM on this, and how big is the hard drive on that. And, and at the end, I just, oh my God, I can't believe I just wasted my human form of life. You know? 
<laughs> you know, I just, I felt just totally depleted by that, you know, going on all these different websites to try to find this, you know, this thing. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'd say in, as, as a general rule, um, it, it, things, certainly inventions and things have made us more comfortable. Um, have they made us happier is, uh, is another question. Yes, Jeeva? So we have senses. Have senses made us happier? So again, it's very perspective from, you know, what's the truth? And from Bhagavad Gita, we learn, you know, that everything should be engaged in Lord Krishna's service of peace formula. So when you understand the formula and the goal of life is Lord Krishna, then you use whatever is the media around you, whatever is the instruments around you in the service, so you right. feel happier. From a Kirby's perspective, they use that for self-gratification, and they think that they are happier, but the end result, as Krishna reveals, is misery. So, it's, you know, again, focus should be on not what items they are, how we're using them. And we should rise to that higher taste, param deshtwani vartate, so that we can understand what will make us truly happy is by serving Hrishikesha, the master of all the senses. Thank you. Hare Krishna. So, yeah, so, but I think we should be careful um, because these things, what are they, what's the saying, right? They make great servants and terrible masters. <laughs> and they can really, uh, like, look, I just have two missed calls and a voice message. Oh, that's very interesting, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> So we couldn't even be thinking, oh, I can't wait till this class is over because I, I can check my voice message from, you know, so-and-so. Um, so, this Prabhupada is making the point here that uh, it is the focus of society rather than the focus being one of uh, loving Krishna. Yeah. Okay, shall we move on? 15. When King Gandharvaraj Chandravega and his followers began to plunder the city of Paranjana, a snake with five hoods, began to defend the city. So the five hoods are compared to the five heirs in our body. The five-hooded serpent, the superintendent and protector of the city of King Paranjana, fought with the Gandharvas for a hundred years. The time factor, right? He fought alone with all of them, although they numbered 720, right? Three days, 360 during the day, 360 during the night. So remember, this whole chapter is an analogy, a allegory. Because he had to fight alone with so many soldiers, all of whom were great warriors, the serpent with five hoods became very weak. Seeing that his most intimate friend was weakening, King Paranjana and his friends and citizens living within the city all became very anxious. King Paranjana collected taxes in the city known as Panchala and thus was able to engage in sexual indulgence. Being completely under the control of women, he could not understand that his life was passing away and he was reaching the point of death. My dear King Prachini Barisat, at this time, the daughter of formidable time was seeking her husband throughout the three worlds, although no one agreed to accept her. She's like, what, uh, uh, old age? Right? Yeah, yeah. The daughter of time, Jara, was very unfortunate. Consequently, she was known as Durbhaga, ill-fated. However, she was once However, she was once pleased with a great king, and because the king accepted her, she granted him a great benediction. When I once came to this earth from Brahmaloka, the highest 
planetary system. The daughter of time, wandering over the universe, met me. This is Narada speaking. Knowing me to be an devout brahmachari, she became lusty and proposed that I accept her. The great sage Narada continued, when I refused to accept her request, she became very angry at me and cursed me severely. Because I refused her request, she said that I would not be able to stay in one place for a long time. After she was thus disappointed by me, with my permission, she approached the king of the Yavanas, whose name was Bhaya, fear, and she accepted him as her husband. Um, after she was thus disappointed by me, with my permission, she approached the king of the Yavanas, whose name was Bhaya, or, oh wait, did I just read that? Sorry. Oh, okay. So, so the purport, uh, being the most perfect Vaishnava, Sri Narada Muni is always willing to do good to others, even to one who curses him. Although Kalakanya, the daughter of time, was refused by Narada Muni, she was given a shelter. Of course, no one could give her shelter, but a Vaishnava gives shelter somewhere to such an unfortunate girl. So, can you think of other times in the Vedic literature or in the Shastra when um, a devotee took a curse as a very positive thing. King Chitraketu, yes, he, he was cur cursed by poverty, and he got off his airplane, and he paid obeisances to her. He said, my dear mother, thank you. Who, Parikshit Maharaj, in, uh, when he was cursed by Shringi? What else? Narnamuni, right now. Yeah? Anyone else? Yeah, it's kind of occurred. Vidura was kicked out of. Yeah, he was kicked out by Jitarestra? Viduryodana, yes. And he took it as a benediction. So there's, some, there's a lesson to be learned here that, that often. Uh, what's the word I'm saying? I'm looking for a word and I can't find it. Often challenges in our life are things, setbacks. Often setbacks are actually not setbacks, they're actually some blessings. Usually it's hard to see them as blessings at the time. Usually we see them more with 2020 hindsight, right? When we look back and say, oh, that was Krishna's mercy, right? But one of the practices of us as we try to make advancement in spiritual life is to at least lessen that time between thinking, oh my God, Krishna, why are you doing this to me? And oh, Krishna, thank you so much. <laughs> if we could eventually lessen that time to instantaneous. Oh, Krishna, I don't know why this is happening, but I know you, you love me, you care for me, you, you promise you'll take care of me, so I'll, I know there's some blessing in, in disguise here. Right? And it's not always easy. I know it's not always easy. Like, like, like I think I told many of you, right like three weeks after my son got married, uh, his mother-in-law was diagnosed with stage four cancer. So how do you immediately think, oh, that's Krishna's arrangement? Like that. Um, but there are some blessings there. Uh, for example, Radhana Swami flies in just to initiate her. He found out. He found out about the diagnosis, and things like that. So you know. Um, but it's not always easy to see uh, to be like Narada Muni here, who not only accepted it but wanted to do. He took it one step further. He wanted to give shelter and be kind to the person uh, cursing him. Right. So that's a real Vaishnava sentiment to, to be like that, isn't it? Some thoughts on this point? Yes? Use the microphone. 
only the devotee gets this type of vision uh, uh, if he's a non devotee uh, it's it's a curse or something like that but like only a devotee can have this transcendental transcendental vision of seeing it's a krishna's mercy it's a i i think it's a great gift uh, yeah it's a great gift for someone who believes in god to see, try to see the hand of god and and for us sometimes it means also um delving a little into the philosophy right like let's say someone like everyone has to die right death rate in america is 100% and in and in europe and in asia and and in all the, you know um but if someone first of all understands that they're the soul or not the body and then if you go a little further that i've had so many different lifetimes so many different lifetimes uh, and this is just one of them now, I know it's not easy to think like this, but you know, you, you get a diagnosis of a disease and um, uh, something like that, and then you, you know, you, one could take it like, this is amazing, I have this notice, and now let me really turn fully to Krishna, and maybe in this life, go back to Godhead, and end the repetition of birth and death. So, uh, what, what did... Uh, um, I thought I wrote that. Oh, Woody Allen, you know, the comedian and the director, he said, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yes? Yeah. Oh, just funny, I was thinking last night, people think religions are mainly based on fear of death. Uh -huh, you see, right. a lot of churches have a graveyard around them. That's, True. that's what you got when you went there, is some assurance about death. But death is one side of the coin. Do people use their life or really the, the opposite? Uh, the opposite of death? Revere their life as much as they fear their death. Oh, they, they fear their they life as much as they fear their, their death. They yeah. really spend as much time thinking about how great it is their life as they do uh, the fact that they're going to die. Right. And he, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep, the only, what are the only two things sure in life are taxes and death. Shall we continue? Anything else? We're almost done with this chapter. Approaching the king of the Yavanas, Kalakanya addressed him as a great hero, saying, My dear sir, you are the best of the untouchables. I am in love with you, and I want you as my husband. I know that no one is baffled if he makes friends with you. <clears throat> oh, and Prabhupada writes here, this is important. One who does not follow all the rules and regulations of Vedic literature is called the Yavana or Malecha. One should not mistakenly think that these words refer to a certain class of people in other countries. There is no question of limitations according to nationalism. Whether one lives in India or outside of India, he is called a Yavana or Malecha if he does not follow the Vedic principles. Right? So we might think, oh, those Westerners, oh, those, oh, no, but it's... It's uh, Krishna's an equal opportunity employer. <laughs> right? Anyone can be a devotee, and also anyone can be quite fallen. <laughs> right? And I thought this was interesting. If a person is Krishna conscious, he can work like a young man, even if he is 75 or 80 years old. Thus, the daughter of Kala, time, cannot overcome a Vaishnava. So that was a very, uh, what do they call it? Uh, that was an autobiographical statement. Because Prabhupada's probably somewhere between 75 and 80 when he wrote that. And he's still traveling around the world and doing his service. <clears throat> 
<clears throat> and he says this, because the devotee rigidly follows the instructions of Nardamuni, he has no fear of old age, disease, or death. Wouldn't that be wonderful to not have any fear of old age, disease, and death? Right? Don't we, don't we like cringe a little bit when they take our, do our blood test and we get that call from our doctor a few days later? I was like, yeah, this time he, he just told me I had some vitamin D deficiency. I was like, oh, okay. You know? He didn't say I had you know, uh, high blood sugar or, you know, I can deal with vitamin D. But, but, but to have no fear of old age, disease, and death. Apparently a devotee may grow old, but he is not subject to the symptoms of defeat experienced by common men in old age. Consequently, old age does not make a devotee fearful of death, as a common man is fearful of death. When jara, or old age, takes shelter of a devotee, Kalakanya diminishes the devotee's fear. A devotee knows that after death he is going back home, back to Godhead, therefore he has no fear of death. Thus, instead of depressing a devotee, advanced age helps him become fearless and thus happy. Wouldn't it also be nice to be fearless? Some of us, we can be very fearful in life, right? I'm not saying all of us, but you know, but fear is a strong emotion in many of us. And it's not usually considered a very positive one. <clears throat> one who does not give charity according to the customs or injunctions of the scriptures. So here she's, she's old age in the form of uh, um, the daughter of time is approaching the king and says, one who does not give charity according to the customs or injunctions of the scriptures, and one who does not accept charity in that way are considered to be in the mode of ignorance. Such persons follow the path of, of the foolish. Surely they must lament at the end. Kalakanya, the daughter of time or old age, continues, O gentle one, I am now present before you to serve you. Please accept me and thus show me mercy. It is a gentleman's greatest duty to be compassionate upon a person who is distressed. After hearing the statement of Kalakanya, daughter of time, the king of the Yavanas began to smile and devise a means for executing his confidential duty on behalf of Providence. He thus addressed Kalakanya as follows. The king of, Ka of the Yavanas replied, After much consideration, I have, I have arrived at a husband for you. Actually, as far as everyone is concerned, you are inauspicious and mischievous. Since no one likes you, how can anyone accept you as his wife? This world is a product of fruit of activities, therefore you may imperceptibly attack people in general. Helped by my soldiers, you can kill them without opposition. Again, it's all, remember, a allegory. Uh, um, um, and then Prabhupada again kind of says, everyone is fully engaged in decorating the world with highways, motor cars, electricity, skyscrapers, industries, businesses, etc., all this appears very nice for those who are simply engaged in sense gratification and who are ignorant of spiritual identity. So you can imagine, so Prabhupada wrote this again in the 70s. The high, I don't know if you know, the highway system in America really was created in the late 50s. Not that long ago. Right? That's why they call it the Eisenhower, if you ever see it sometimes, because Eisenhower was president in the late 50s. So, uh, so some people, yeah, like, wow, highways. You know, uh, Cars, of course, are always, you know, uh, these are some things he mentioned here are things we take for granted. But the idea is that if we get obsessed with those things and forget who we really are, right? Because you could easily, uh, definitely right now, it is not a problem 
to get completely absorbed in all the newest gadgets every year because technology is always coming up with the newest things, right? The fastest Apple computer, the, fa the bigger uh, phone, or now there's a flip smartphone or something like that, right? And it's just constantly. It'll, it won't stop, right? Um, so, again, we have to be careful about what we allow to absorb our consciousness. Everyone can experience that although we try to keep the body in a comfortable position, it is always giving pain and is subjected to the threefold miseries. Otherwise, why are there so many hospitals, welfare boards, and insurance establishments? So, again, things that we take for granted, right? But there's a lot of hospitals, aren't there? A lot of doctor offices, yeah? A lot of dentist offices, a lot of physical therapists, right? And if you think about it, if you, next time you drive around and you look... How many doctors? How many dentists? How many physical therapists? Uh, um, or what about insurance? We come sometimes, you know, we think, well, life insurance. Why is there life insurance? Because everyone has to die. Why is there car insurance? Because we often get in an accident. So it's just, I just found this very interesting. Prabhupada's kind of pointing out nonchalantly things that we don't really put two and two together sometimes in, in our in our day-to-day -day lives, right? Um, but when you think about it, there's hospitals because, as Krishna says in the Gita, that everyone gets sick at some point in time. There's, you know, there's crematoriums and funeral homes all over because everyone dies at some time. There's uh, hospices and uh, assisted living and nursing homes because everyone gets old at some time. Matter of fact, if you want to you know, be a good business person, you would probably think of, uh, I should get into a business that everyone has to experience. I mean, I'm just guessing that it would be a good business. <laughs> you know, if you're in the business of phone books, you're out of work right now. Right? But are doctors ever going to be useless? Is there ever going to be a time when we don't need funeral homes and crematoriums? Right? It's like, you know, <laughs> like that. So, so it's just, it's just, I just found this interesting. We're probably, I just find sometimes that Srila Prabhupada points out the obvious, but we don't necessarily make it out. You know, sometimes the obvious needs to be pointed out like that. Yes. <clears throat> and, and on this website uh, that I was looking at, just, I'll end here, uh, just, I just found this kind of interesting. So... It was about the fear of death, and it was from psychological, Psychology Today, this one author. And they were talking about, it was kind of written from a person who's an atheist's point of view. So, so he said, let's deal first with our fear of a painful death. We are all afraid of pain. We have all had much experience of physical pain, some more than others. And we are quite likely to have witnessed more extreme pain and agony in others than we have, uh, than we have experienced ourselves. All this makes us fear pain. Physical pain arises from damage to our living tissue. Since death is the ultimate destruction of our living tissues, we naturally assume that death must be the ultimately painful experience. Um, oh, actually, I didn't, I didn't quote the, the paragraph before that. He, 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 said, he said, yes, death is painful, but it's not any more painful than disease. Then I scratched my head, okay, <laughs> wait a second. So he's accepting basically what Krishna says in the Gita, right? It's not any worse, okay. but so they're both bad. So he was trying to say we should overcome our fear of death by comparing it with something that we know is really terrible and it's not any worse than that. 
So it really didn't make a lot of logical sense. So uh, the best is to become a devotee. And for when we're devotees, um, as we just read previously, uh, they can deal with death, uh, knowing that they have a great uh, destination after death. Uh, or as Juva Maharaj, he, he literally stepped on the head of death, it said, right? You know, and uh, just like lightning and thunder, which comes first? Lightning. So just lightning was his death and the thunder was his being with Krishna. So um, Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita says that, okay, if we become perfect in our devotion, we return to Krishna. And if not, then suchinam shimitam gehe yoga brasha vijayate. And then the next verse says um, that uh, for a devotee, they take their birth in a family of devotees and continue their devotional service. So that's it for today. We will, uh, let's see, next week is, yeah, we'll have class. Um, and uh, my, oh, for those who weren't here, I was trying to think if we could actually finish the Bhakti Vaibhava, which is the end of the sixth canto, by next New Year's, which is basically a chapter a week, which we've been doing, but these have been short chapters. So I'll, I'll look at that more carefully, and we'll talk about it. But uh, class again, 10.30, Sari Das Bhaje, next Sunday. And uh, have a uh, wonderful week in Krishna consciousness. Happy holidays, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas. And Hare Krishna. <laughs>